Hi again, friends, and welcome to mile 123 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Fresh off of a personal best of three minutes and 34 seconds in the 1500 meters, mid-distance star Sam Prakel joins us this week. Sam owns one of the top 10 indoor mile times in American history and recently set a state soil record for the fastest time ever run in Washington with a lightning quick 350 road mile. Earlier this year, he represented the U.S. at the World Indoor Champs, and just last month, he took the lead late at the U.S. Outdoor Champs before barely missing the world team. Sam shares his perspective on the ongoing world championships, his track and road racing, the future of Oregon Ducks track and field, and more. So without further delay, here's Sam Prakel and Mile 123 of Seconds Flat. Seconds Flat. Give me up. Look at Bill. Look at Bill. This is the Second Flat Running Podcast. Sam has been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Blake Jones. Oh, my gosh. Sam, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Travis. We're in the middle of the world championships right now. Uh, men's 1500 final just last night. How much are you a fan just like the rest of us right now? And what has caught your attention? I'm a big fan of track. I've been following it pretty much every day. It, it's why I look forward to in the evening is, is watching the day's events and, and what finals are on and, and, and everything. So even though I wish I could have been there in person um, competing or, or, or even watching. I'm, I'm, I'm still up here in Seattle and, and following it from a distance. But yeah, I, I, I've always enjoyed watching the, the major championships in the summer. And, and um, it really gives me a chance. Like I'm always following the middle distance events, you know, the mile and the 1500 and, and other um, 800s and stuff like that. But the, the, I feel like these world champs give me a, a chance to like really watch high level competition at like all the other events too, like the sprints. And I've really enjoyed, you know, watching the men's hundred and, and watching the 200 prelims and, and yeah, the field events. I think the coverage has been really good. So yeah, getting a chance to yeah really get to know the other events too. Um, but, but obviously the 1500 is my favorite and watching the final last night was, was pretty thrilling, kept me on the edge of my seat and yeah, fun, fun seeing guys that I've raced against before, you know, crush it and run super fast. So yeah, it was a fun one. Yeah, it was a heck of a race. You mentioned looking forward to it all day to go home and watch. You've lived in the Eastern time zone before where you're originally from. How good is it to be a West Coast sports fan and never stay up late to watch a meet or even a, another sport, basketball, football, whatever you're into? It's much nicer. I, I remember growing up and always having to go to bed at halftime of like Sunday night football or Monday night football. And now out here, you wake up in the first NFL games at 10 a.m. and you're never having to stay up past 8 p.m. or 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 you're always yeah able to watch the whole the whole game or or the whole event and yeah th thinking back to like other Olympic games and World Championships where it's you know on a different continent it's always so confusing so it's nice to finally be like in the same time zone as as what's going on down in Eugene so 
um, everything kind of works out with, with my daily schedule, but I love being a sports fan on the West coast. It's, it's easy for, yeah, the NBA and the, and the NFL and the, the American based sports is a little tougher for like the Euro sports, you know, watching the tour de France, um, you have to wake up even earlier. Yeah. Um, I like didn't think Ohio, about that. <laughs> yeah. In Ohio, I can wake up and, and catch most of the stage, but here it's like mostly happening when I'm still asleep and I wake up and I, I rush to the TV to, to see like maybe the last the last few miles of it. Um, yeah, overall, like, yeah, especially for these world champs, it's nice being um, on the West Coast. Are you pretty into the tour? You following? Yeah, yeah, I, I like it. Um, I think I started watching, you know, early in college. I, I wasn't a huge fan in high school, but some friends and roommates in college really liked it. So I got into it and I've, I've been paying pretty close attention to it the past few years. Um, so yeah, it's it's exciting. Just like the the tactics and the races going on, like, there's more than just the, the, the GC going on. So, um, yeah, I like it. We can appreciate the, uh, the things that cross from cycling to what happens in, in running and then add in the conditions, uh, the heat that they're dealing with over there right now has, has just been absolutely crazy. Back to the world champs. Are you willing to put out an opinion on the DQ of fellow duck Devin Allen the other night, one thousandth of a second different. It's been a huge controversy, and uh, more than anything, it's just it's really sad for him and difficult to watch a, a great competitor and possibly his last track meet not have the opportunity to compete for a gold. Yeah, very hard hard to watch, and I feel super bad for Devin, and I'm I'm definitely biased in my opinion, but I, I do think that he got very unlucky. I I, I think. He, he truly reacted to the gun and didn't false start. So I, I just think he has a superhuman reaction time. And, and um, some of the numbers that have been thrown out there show that it's possible for people to react faster than 0.1 seconds. So maybe there needs to be a rule change and, and they can call it the Devin Allen rule that you yeah. can um, start after a certain amount. Of, or maybe there, yeah, maybe there's like a warning that you can give if you're like literally a thousand, a thousandth of a second away from being DQ'd or not. So yeah, really, really hard to watch that. And yeah, I feel, I feel for Devin, but he's, he's been through a lot of challenges in his career. And I think whether this motivates him in the NFL or, or, or maybe to come back later and, and try to get in the hurdles, um, he'll, he's pretty resi- resilient. So I, I think he'll, he'll, he'll be okay. You were so close to being part of the action this week. You came off a 1500 meter PR at pre-classic and in a tactical race at the U S champs, you took the lead with uh, about 300 meters to go. Take us back to that move you made and how the final lap unfolded. Right. Yeah. Go, going into the final at USA's, I had a feeling it would be pretty tactical. So I made sure I was on point with, with my positioning throughout the race. And, and when I decided to, use energy. And I feel like I did a pretty good job of getting into position with 500 to go and felt like it had been very slow. So hit the front with 400 to go. And um, once I was on the backstretch, I was still feeling pretty good. And, I, and, and when I started to make my move and, and wind it up, I thought I was going to be able to hold it, but we hit the, we hit the front stretch and I, yeah, must've just mis, misjudged it just by the slightest of margins because um, I just ended up on the wrong side of a blanket finish of guys in a, in a super tactical race. And um, I don't think I would have changed the way I approached the race or executed the race. I think I did what was best for me. And I, I do think 
yeah, in a race like that, being at the front with 400 to go and running the shortest distance in the last lap gave me the best shot. It just didn't work out. And, and, um, for some reason I wasn't able to, to, to hold that kick. Um, and it's a, not a bad thing to go through that and, and, and maybe take away a few lessons on, on, on how to squeeze down a race and, and, um, you know, how to, yeah, hold off, hold off a huge pack of guys behind you. So I'm happy with, with the effort I put in. And, and I think I, yeah, just got unlucky with the, with the way the race played out. I think I'm, yeah, maybe a better racer when, when the pace is a little faster. I think I was pretty strong this year. So you know, I was hoping for like a faster race because I think maybe that would have gotten rid of a couple other guys who, who aren't as strong as some of the top guys in the 1500. And yeah, once we went out in 208 for the first 100, I was like, all right, just got to be well positioned and, and give it my best shot. So um, yeah, everything happened so fast in that, in that last lap that yeah, decisions are made very quickly. And I just think I kind of didn't have it the last hundred and yeah, it stinks because there's only a few guys with the standard or the ranking. So I, I was still like, even though I finished eighth, I was still like kind of close to making the team. But yeah. um, at the end of the day, like my goal was top three. And I think now it's just like motivating to go through that. And now I kind of know what I need to work on to get better. And in the future, I can hopefully make a team. And by going through that, I'll be even better prepared for like a world champs where there's even like tougher rounds and and um, tougher competition. So it's still that, that, that USA's final is still like fresh and still kind of processing everything in that race. But it, it was just a step forward, no matter what, just because I, I think that was the first time I've actually raced that confidently and went into like a final with that much confidence. So like, I can just like use that again, but just use my kick in a more measured way. Then I'll come 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 out on the other side of of those tight finishes. The fifteen hundred, it's exciting. It's always oh yeah, always a tight finish. So it's 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 my favorite event. So always good to to be in the final and to have a chance at least. So um, overall, pretty good experience at USA's this year. A couple follow ups then to that, Sam, because I think there's a great perspective. The first is uh, I'm always interested in how quick that decision is made in your mind, just how instinctive it is of when a move gets made, when you're at such an elite level. And in the 1500s, I think it was maybe the semi, or actually it might've been in the heats in the first round, like at Worlds, when you saw Josh Thompson make that quick move to the inside with less than a hundred to go. And it had to be made at that very second to get him into a spot where he could advance. How quickly are you making that decision and what are you reading? What are the inputs that are, are uh, as you're feeling what's happening around you that are, are being processed uh, as you decide, okay, now it's time for me to go to the front or it's time to squeeze this down. What does that look like for you? Yeah, there's a lot that goes into those decisions all in a short amount of time. And it, yeah, a lot of it depends on how you're feeling, where you are in the race, and what your position is and, and, you know, how far away are the leaders and, and what are you trying to accomplish? And yeah, thinking back to Josh's move in the rounds at worlds, my guess is like, he still had a lot of running left in his legs and mm-hmm. he was trying to find space to use that. And his two options were to go on the inside or the outside. And he saw that inside open up and snuck right in. But other times it's maybe like I think back to my training partner, Johnny in the semifinal, he kind of, it was in a similar position. He had a lot of running left in the last hundred and, and kind of made the same decision as Josh to go inside, but he, he just got unlucky and the inside didn't open up like it did for Josh. So it's, it's tough. Sometimes, yeah, you make the wrong decision. Sometimes you make the right decision. 
that's why I like racing a lot because it's a, it's a lot of feedback. So some yeah. races I'll think back, like that was a bad decision. Like, why did I do that? And other races like, okay, that was the, the right time to move to get around that person or to, to take the lead or to, to start the kick. So yeah, it's, it's good to, to get a lot of races in at least, at least for me. Yeah. What I'm thinking in a race is what point in the race are we, are we at 800 to go? Are we at 600 to go 400 to go? And then, um, kind of like seeing what's going on in front of me. Like, do I, do I need to, um, get around people or am I safe here? And then also kind of like how the race has played out to that point. Like, has it been a slow race? Like, do you need to be kind of on guard on like people boxing you in or trying to get around people? Or has it been a fast race? Like, are you just trying to hold on? Are you just trying to stay as relaxed as possible and stay to the inside because it's been a fast race and everyone's kind of just trying to, trying to hang on to, to whoever's leading. So like, I, I think I was talking about the semifinal from Worlds where the heat that Kerr won. Um, mm-hmm. And if it's a fast 1500, I only need to watch it once. But if it's tactical 1500, I, I'll rewatch it a few times to like watch a different person um, and to see what they did and this, the decisions they made and how it worked out. So it's, it's fun. I, a lot of people complain when it's like a tactical championship race, but I kind of like for, as a fan, I almost enjoy those more because it just adds another piece to the like the mental part of, of racing a 1500 yeah that layer is super interesting you're right sam and uh, if we rewind that then back to us champs for you as you look back at your performance as you described it slow through the first 800 if you had this position again do you think you would prefer to try to force a pace earlier or is your goal to continue to work on sharpening the kick so that more is there at the end in a tactical race like that because you believe that plays into your strengths? Yeah, that's a great question. I've thought about that a lot. Um, I, I bet. I, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure yeah. it's, it's still a little raw, I know. I, no, I, no, no. But yeah, this I, just I, is so interesting. No, yeah. Um, I've, I've never been someone who enjoys leading from a far ways out. I, I've or I don't know if I'm, I'm particularly good at that. I've always been a little better at sitting and kicking. Yeah, I, I, I don't see if I had to re, rerun that, that final, if it would have been beneficial for me to hit the front earlier and push it. I just think, yeah, there's so many talented guys in the field and I just don't have enough experience, like, yeah, squeezing it from that, that far out. So, yeah, I, I think if anything, it's, it's just um, learning how to properly like yeah distribute my energy that last 400 and i think i just went if you because it's interesting they have 100 meter splits on the results and you can look at my 100 from 300 to 200 from 200 to 100 and from 100 to the finish and my fastest 100 is from 300 to 200 i think i just hit the gas a little too hard on the back stretch and didn't save enough for the front stretch so just learning how to like yeah play your cards at the right time and at the time i thought that'd give me the best shot by um maybe getting a little bit of separation on the back stretch but that, that wasn't going to work in a race that slow. As you described that, Sam, it, it made me think of Centro at the Olympic final in 2016 when he got the rail on the inside and held everyone off. And you're right, it, it felt as if he squeezed just enough at the exact right moments of that 400 that he still left himself enough juice in the tank, but it, was, it made everyone else work just enough as well. And that's an incredible combination, of course, to, to put together. What is it like, though, just to be there in front of that crowd at the New Hayward as a former Oregon Duck in a national championship final? Yeah, it, it brings out a lot of emotions. Like, 
I would say like every time I've made a US 1500 final, it's just like the most thrilling experience of the year, just because there's something on the line, everyone's good. And yeah, you get really nervous. I don't know. I think being in Eugene is an advantage for me because I'm so comfortable there. I spent five years at college at Oregon. And even though it's a new stadium, I think it still has the same feel to it. You know, I do the same warm up loop, the same officials are there, the same volunteers are there and they're like saying hi to me and, and everything. So yeah, that relaxes me just being in that environment, being in Eugene and know, knowing that it's sort of a home crowd for me is, is also a, a benefit, is, is an advantage. And yeah, I, I look forward to going back to Eugene and running, you know, Prefontaine Classic is always, always fun. And, and I don't know where they'll have USAs in the future, um, but whether it's going to be at Eugene every year, if they're going to rotate it around. But Eugene has always been pretty, pretty good to me. And I miss, miss the old Hayward, but I think, especially with all of the major meets this year at the new Hayward, I think it's kind of creating its own, own legacy. And, and I think soon it'll be just as loved as, as the old Hayward. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, I still, I still kind of miss the old Hayward. It just, yeah, worked out perfectly for me because as soon as I graduated is when they, when they tore it down. So it kind of like was symbolic of my time in my time at Oregon, but yeah, the new, new Hayward is, yeah, just a step up. It just feels, feels electric. I think back to the Olympic trials final last year, when it was at night, so all the lights were on and it just, yeah, it was an electric atmosphere and the, the trials are always going to be a little more intense than USA's. So yeah, I'll never forget that feeling of walking out on the track and lining up against, against that field and, and having shot, having a shot making Olympic team. And yeah, I mean, it was my first Olympic trials final and something I hope to do again um, in two years. Yeah, you know, we wouldn't, of course, be having this action on American soil this week without the new stadium. So as much as we all miss what the old one stood for, it, it is really neat to have world champs in, in the United States for the first time. You did make a world team earlier this year and got to the final at the World Indoor Championships. Can you put into words the experience of representing the United States in Serbia at a world championships? It was an experience that I've always wanted. I, I've been pretty close to making teams in the past, ever since high school. I was alternate for the Pan Am junior team. Mm. My senior year, I was alternate for Doha world champs in the 1500. So I've, I've been close and yeah, it was not the most traditional way of making a team, you know, with Cole um, deciding not to run in Serbia and Henry not having the standards, so it fell to me in fourth place. But I, I still wanted to take advantage of the opportunity, and it was a huge step in my career being able to compete at the international level. And and I did feel a lot of pressure representing the U.S. just with how dominant the U.S. track team is, and a lot of eyes are on you just because you're wearing the the red, white, and blue. So yeah, being in Serbia was. Yeah, just a really cool experience. And, and I was pretty, pretty nervous heading into the prelim just because to that point, every U.S. athlete had advanced to the final. So I didn't want to break the streak. <laughs> so I, I felt that pressure and I'm, I'm glad I was able to, to squeak through to the final. And, and then lining up in the final was something that I've always pictured myself doing it just because I, yeah, I've, I've, I've had that confidence that I, I could make it to that level. But finally being able to do it was, was just a, kind of a weight off the shoulders and finally being able to, to experience, yeah, lining again, lining up against like the best 1500 meter runners in the world. Um, yeah, I wish I had run the final differently, but I think as a first experience, it was a good, yeah, good first experience representing Team USA and being, being a part of that and, and being able to experience that. So it was very motivating. Yeah. So what 
have you learned from all these high-level tactical championships races that makes you a better racer than, say, a decade ago when you were winning high school state championships and heading off to Oregon? How is Sam Prakel, the runner, different now in 2022 from all that experience? Mainly just in way better shape. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I was pretty underdeveloped in high school. I think I was fortunate to run in a small division against smaller schools and gained confidence by yeah winning a bunch of races and miles and like 425 or 420 and, and I didn't really know what was going on with like other high school athletes in the nation if I did I probably would have gotten pretty discouraged so I, <laughs> I was lucky just doing my own thing in Ohio and I got to Oregon and yeah I I really developed physically just being able to handle more mileage being being stronger I was yeah pretty poor at the over distance training I always had pretty good turnover um, but yeah, getting stronger. And that's the number one piece and being able to compete in, in any race, if it's tactical or if it's not tactical, you still have to be extremely fit. Um, otherwise you won't yeah, have any kick when you, when you get to that point. So that's, yeah, the biggest thing. And then once you get to the top level in the world, a lot, like everyone is in very good shape and it always comes down to who's the most confident, who races the smartest. Mm-hmm. Um, like, in the world indoor final, I wasn't confident. I was kind of racing timid because it was against, you know, the Olympic champion and all these other 330, 1500 meter runners. So I put myself in the back and just never was in the race. So even though I think I might've been in good enough shape to finish mid pack, I, I still was towards, towards the back, but now, now I'm building that confidence and still building that, that fitness. And, and I think it's slowly come together and it's, it's, yeah, been just a steady climb for me. I haven't really had too many ups or downs. I've just been pretty consistent and I think it's going to pay off eventually, but being able to position yourself confidently in those, in those races is, is a huge, a huge piece and, and something that I hope to do in the future. But yeah, it's yeah, way, way different than, than San Pericle in high school where I could just <laughs> go out, run as hard as I could and, and win by 150 meters and local like dual meets and stuff. Fun to think back on that though. Yeah. It it probably has to be difficult for everyone who is dominant at that level to move to a stage where everyone is, as you said, of great fitness. But I think a next step in that developing consistency and confidence had to be a turnaround a week or so right after the U.S. champs to go to the downtown Yakima road mile and run the fastest mile in Washington State history, 350.5. First on on that experience, were you excited? Were you hungry to get back out? Or or was there some disappointment lingering? Sometimes it feels like just racing again can be the best medicine to to get that out of your system and and go attack it again. Yeah, usually I bounce back pretty quick from disappointing races. This race was probably the most disappointed I've been after a race in a while. I don't normally get too down, but, but this one took a couple of days to shake off. But once I got back into back to Seattle and kind of got recovered from, from USA's and I knew the Yakima mile was a week later and I, I ran it last year. So it was kind of on my calendar and um, yeah, I, I just felt like I was in good shape and yeah, kind of wanted to redeem myself from USA. So, so after a couple of days of, shaking off the disappointment. Um, I told my coach I wanted to run it still. And we, we knew thinking back to the race last year, it was, it was sort of a tactical race and we still ran 354. 
So we're like, okay, if we if we push it a little more this year, like we could probably get the record and get the bonus. So we we sort of sort of had a plan to do that with with my training partner Johnny, who was doing a workout that day anyways. So he decided his first rep of his workout would be to to take me out on a hot pace um, in that road mile, and and um, he took me out in one one fifty five, and then and then I brought it home and was able to sneak under that that state record and it was it was still really hard like i think i was still a little emotionally drained from the weekend before with usas but i knew physically i, I was fine so i just kind of powered through through everything and and came away with a big performance and yeah it, it was nice to have johnny's help and i paid him back a little bit so we we <laughs> <laughs> well the the event did a great job with the drone coverage that they had uh, that's up on YouTube now where you can watch the race. So I'll link that in the show notes for everyone to see who ha- hasn't watched the event. How does that road mile racing compare with your experience on the track? Road miles are, are pretty different. I mean, it's a similar distance and everything. Each course is slightly different. So that, that's kind of fun. Um, you know, a track, you kind of know you're just going to get four laps on a flat oval. But with road miles, you have some with turns, some with like some elevation changes and whatnot. So I kind of like, yeah, getting to know the course beforehand. And I mean, most of them are, are on a pretty wide street. So there's plenty of room to make moves, which I like. There's no mm-hmm. concern about, you know, running extra distance on the curve or yeah, waiting, getting, getting boxed in, stuff like that, which can still happen over a road mile, but not as often just because everyone's kind of spread out running as hard as they can. So I, I really enjoyed road miles. I, I don't know, it, like going back to cycling and the Tour de France, it kind of reminds me of some of those sprint finishes on yeah, those stages sure. where, where everyone's like just worried about positioning and, and making the last move and being the first one across the line. So um, just kind of bringing that mindset to it is fun. Yeah, Yakima seems like it had a really, really long straight. My buddy and I were having this conversation on the track this morning. There's benefit to few turns in a race, um, especially, uh, say, at the longer distance, like a marathon, where you don't have to take turns constantly through the course is always advantageous. But that mental piece of knowing uh, I have, let's say, hypothetically, 800 meters of, of straight, how do you balance that? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's hard, especially in Yakima, because you could see the finish line from yeah over 800 meters out and it looks a lot closer than it is. So you, you just you have to know the course and, and it helps when they have quarter mile markers out there. So you imagine kind of how you want to feel at those, those points in the race. Um, and yeah, try to just, just take it one step at a time. You know, I've run fifth Ave a few times and that's another course where you can see the finish line from 800 meters out. And a lot of guys get pretty excited early on because you, you, you start to feel good especially and you think the finish is coming up close, but coming up soon, but yeah, you just gotta be patient and, and know there's still a lot of racing, a lot of racing left. Like if you were 800 meters into a track mile, you wouldn't be thinking about the finish yet. You still kind of have mm-hmm. a few laps to navigate. Um, but in a road mile, it's, yeah, it's tough. So um, that takes a little bit of experience. Like my first time at fifth Ave, I did terribly because I saw the finish and I was like, all right, I gotta be up front. I got, and then I just faded because everyone else was like saving it. So takes experience and and a little bit of patience and yeah road miles are fun because usually like yeah the guys who are in the best shape end up winning because there's less tactics involved just about running hard um Mm -hmm. and and it's still like deciding when to make moves and stuff but i I do feel like yeah especially with these races that have like the halfway bonus like fifth ave and i think guardian mile which i'm doing this weekend has a halfway bonus so it gets the races to go out hard and i like that 
Yeah, you just said measuring how you want to feel at different points in the race. Peel back that on that a little bit more, uh, maybe with a quarter to go, in a, let's say in a mile or one lap to go in, in a 1500, what you expect your body to feel like. And then also as you move beyond that point, because I know, Sam, there's got to be a point where you just assume I'm going to feel miserable regardless I have to just break through that. And so when you get to that point, what are the mental cues that you're using to try to fight through the way you feel physically? Right. I think, I think the best way to approach a race is just expect it to feel terrible. Like if, I, if you go on a race <laughs> expecting it to feel easy, you're in for a surprise. So yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I want to feel like I'm yeah, really pushing my limit, but I still have one or two gears left. And yeah, there's a few mental cues I, I, I use and whether it's, it's um, working on um, my turnover and trying to like quick, quicken my turnover or quicken mm-hmm. my, my arms or, you know, make sure I'm yeah, leaning forward and just leaning into it um, when it gets hard. Those are some of the cues I use. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty competitive. So if there's people around me and, and, and then there's a race going on, that's what I'm thinking of. And just whatever it takes to stay up with them or, or to, to, pass, to pass them is, is kind of where my mind goes. Um, and, and like in a mile, the hardest part is yeah, that middle part where mm-hmm. like the second and third laps where you're still kind of staying on the pace, but the racing hasn't begun yet. Whereas in the last lap, I feel like you're all you're thinking about is racing. So that's yeah, maybe mentally a little easier. Yeah. And it, it's different for every race because some races, like I feel terrible the first lap and then it just doesn't get any worse. And then other races, I feel great for the first three laps, but then it hits me pretty hard the last lap and it just yeah it, it kind of never know and just got to expect it to feel hard but um it's always good to have little mental cues on how to get yourself through those those tough phases and everyone's different but yeah I have like little words I, I just tell myself to like squeeze or tell myself to yeah find that last gear so yeah a lot of a lot of things going through your head but at, at the end of the day it's, it's best just to go out there and race yeah that is that's the beauty of racing uh, that's a, a great description Sam you just said Guardian Mile in, in Cleveland. I saw your name on the entry list and I looked this morning. Is there the hope of another state soil record on your radar for this weekend upcoming? How are you feeling? I'm feeling good coming off last Friday running 334 is a big confidence boost. So I'm, I know I'm in good shape. It's just a matter of am I going to be recovered from that effort? Um, I think I will be. I think recovering pretty well from things. And I mean, we ran pretty fast at that race last year. Johnny and I both ran 349. Yeah. So it'll take another big effort to get under that. But yeah, it's always a possibility. I mean, looking at the field, it's even more stacked than last year. So I think if, yeah, the, the, whoever wins might come away with the soil record, which you'll have to get, you'll probably have to get either 349 flat or 348 on that course. Um, so yeah, it's a unique course just over a bridge, but you get mm-hmm. to finish on a downhill. So that kind of helps the last 400 or so. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And it's nice to race in Ohio, being in my, in my home state, some, some family get to, come, get to come watch. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, that's great. That's, that's fun that you'll have some family there. Uh, Sam, let's get you out of here with a few uh, quick questions here. You were just talking about being from Ohio, from uh, town of Versailles in, in Western Ohio. Two, 3,000 people there maybe. There's a great athletic tradition. What, what do you think makes for a small town like that to produce athletes uh, you know like yourself uh, just recently you had the Arns brothers big 10 basketball players come out of her sales i know the football has always been great there what's special about that part of the country 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, the, the football has been the biggest tradition of our sales, especially in the 90s. We had a lot of state titles then. But yeah, like pretty much every sport has had success at one time or the other. And I just think of, you know, the hardworking values that a lot of the families in the area have. And a lot of the kids grew up very well balanced, whether they're playing just a lot of different sports. And Mm -hmm. there's not, we don't have, you know, a lot of like leagues that people compete in as young, young kids. And then they start to like, yeah, just focus on one sport. I feel like a lot of the best athletes are just doing a lot of different sports growing up. So maybe that that helps them stay balanced. And, and um, yeah, you, you just look at the, the people there and and yeah a lot of a lot of the best athletes at Versailles are also really good students too so they're just like well-balanced people and very hard-working people and 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 you kind of combine those values and yeah the the team sports have always been good so i think yeah just just a supportive com- community too you know a lot of support for the school and for the programs there and yeah a lot a lot of tradition so i think a lot of young like i know growing up i, I was always watching and inspired by the the runners who are much older than me. I, like every day at school, I'd walk past this wall of state champions and I would see mm. Tyler Bargy, who was a 1600 meter state champion. He ran the school record 413. I'd see that every single day in seventh grade. And I was like, I wanna be that. Mm. So I think that the, the tradition and that that just kind of builds on itself throughout the years. And and I finally had had my chance once I was in high school to, to run at that level. And I'd been thinking about it for a while already. So it was kind of, good role models to look up to and yeah, good, good coaches and everything. So yeah, just a good, well-balanced community. So you're going back home uh, coming up this week. If, if you were to see Tyler out in town, would you say that I am now the greatest athlete to ever come out of her sales? <laughs> I don't, I don't know if that's true. Um, we've had a lot of good athletes. <laughs> um, yeah, it took me a while to get a school record. Like it, I, I was chasing it for a while. Um, yeah. So he, yeah, he's always been a support sport of my, my career. So, um, that's cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, what's your favorite session? Um, track session or just yeah. any type of, um, yeah, anything, what, what you most session. enjoy in training. Yeah. Um, oh man, that's a good question. Yeah. It seems like the sessions that I dread the most are the ones that are like best for me, like mm. the, <laughs> the hardest ones. So I, I know, you know, running, I don't know, we do a lot of just breakdowns, like K breakdowns or mile breakdowns, and, and those can get pretty hard. Or we, we, we've done a lot of Michigans um, where you do the tempo segments with the track segments. But yeah, I don't know. There's just, there's too many to, to choose from. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do like just doing straight up 400 meter repeats. I know that's probably a very common answer for a miler just because it, it is just a, I think the 400 is just the perfect distance where you can, you can, you can run hard, but it's not, not too, not, not too long where it's like mentally, mentally hard, just one lap. So it's easy to conceptualize and just doing eight to 10 by 400 at mile pace with um, two minutes rest or so is, is just one that you can gain a lot of confidence from. And it kind of is a good indicator of kind of what type of shape you're in. So I don't do that one too often, but when I do um, I'm excited because yeah, I know you can, you can gain a lot from something like that. You're an assistant coach right now, volunteer with University of Washington, but your alma mater is in the midst of a coaching change. The reports are uh, Jerry Schumacher from the Bowerman Club will be taking over. What does it mean to you just in general, the thought of having a distance-focused director of the program again? How does that excite you about what it means? Even though in some ways it's a rival now at UW, you guys have had great success over the past few years, the runners you've produced. But for your school at Oregon, what do you think about that possible direction? 
Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Hopefully, Ori can can get back to being good at cross country. I don't know. We've we've always <laughs> struggled with that. I was never good at cross, and we have, we've always had good individuals. But I know Jerry is really good at coaching the 10K and coaching cross country. Um, so I'm excited to to see how that kind of plays out. But yeah, I think yeah, Oregon has always been a complete track team as far as having great talent in every event. So I hope that continues, even though it's, you know, a distance coach as the director, it'll be interesting to see kind of the directions he goes in with the other event groups. But I think at, at its um, core, you know, Oregon is a great distance school. So I'm excited to see, yeah, one of the best distance coaches there um, and hoping that, that they can um, continue to bring in the best talent and, and display that at a stadium as cool as Hayward. I think yeah, Hayward, new Hayward needs to create kind of a new legacy. And, and I think starting with, with, with Jerry and, and um, developing some really good distance runners in Eugene will be, be something that will solidify kind of Oregon and, and Eugene as, as Tracktown USA. So I'm looking forward to, to following that. You make a great point about cross country there and what we from the outside think about the culture of Oregon. It's just immediately connected in our minds as a history of, of great cross country running. And it would be fantastic to see them back at the top of the heap with Northern Arizona and, and whoever else year in and year out. If it hadn't been Oregon for you, when you left Versailles, what was number two on the list? Number two is Stanford. I, uh. You I was have gone convinced. wrong, Sam. Those are two pretty good picks. <laughs> two great options. That's why it was such a tough decision. Yeah. Um, I know. I, I was convinced I was going to Stanford and then last minute decided to take a visit to Oregon. Andy really wanted to have me out. Um, and we finally we were struggling to find a date for me to come visit and we finally made it work. So it was, um, you know, if you asked me in the fall of my senior year, I was going to Stanford, but then I took a visit in January to Oregon. And how could I say say no to Oregon? I think I, I knew I wanted to get the most out of myself as a runner and the the team and the coaching staff there just seemed like the, the best fit for me. And it seemed like a really good balance at Oregon. I really, I really like, like Stanford. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm sure I would have turned out okay either way, but I'm glad <laughs> with, uh, with uh, the decision I made. Yeah. Last one, Sam, you go out, let's say you just blitz this guardian mile this weekend and you got the family there with you everybody's next morning wants to go out and celebrate and we're going to hit the breakfast three options for you i want you to rank them for me uh, this is by far the most important question uh, also uh, you have french toast waffles or pancakes what order are you putting those three in sam oh that that is yeah a very it important says, question it says a lot about I, I'm, I'm, I'm like always having to to decide this on, cause that, that's like my, like with evening races, that's my, that's my um, morning routine is to wake up and have a big breakfast. And it's always a tough decision. Like, do I, when I go to, when I go to the diner, the local diner and in, in whatever city I'm racing in, do I get the pancakes? Do I get the waffles? Do I get the French toast? Um, <laughs> yeah. I think it, it, it's tough. Like it depends. I think I'm just a classic pancake guy. I, I, I don't know. Like, you can't go wrong. I, I, I always choose pancakes. Um, I, you just like they're they're going to be the most consistent, I think. Mm -hmm. So I, I I think I got to put them at number one. Oh man, yeah, I I really I don't know. We have this diner, this uh, breakfast place in Seattle called Portage Bay, and they make incredible French toast, just oh, homemade okay. bread. 
So if, it, if it's Portage Bay French toast, I'm going to put that at number two. And I guess, I guess waffles have to be number three. So it's, okay. a, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's, it's very hard to decide between all three. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm thinking right now. <laughs> well, I know where I'm getting breakfast next time I go to Seattle. Portage Bay, you said it's called? Yeah, that's the spot? It's incredible. Yeah. All right. I'll check it out. That sounds fantastic. Well, good luck this weekend. Best wishes with the engagement. You said that uh, you're celebrating with the family some of that too, and hopefully we're celebrating a great race. And good luck going forward, Sam. We'll be rooting for you. And uh, we're so thankful that you shared some time with us. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me.